City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City City Limits. Good morning, everybody. This is City Limits and I'm Meg Kimber. Don't freak out. Don't adjust your dial. Um, You are on 3CR 855. Uh, Our fearless leader, Kevin, is... Not in the studio today, he's unwell. Um, So we're all thinking of him and in fact we don't have to think too hard because he will be on the line soon. We'll give him a call uh, in a few minutes uh, because we don't want anyone to feel like they've missed out on getting an update on what's happened in the Herald Sun this week. And so today I'm on the other side of the desk and I'm very grateful that Andy is here and oh, no worries, Meg. Thank you, Andy. That's I won't. Right. I'll try not to make you speak too much, but people might get sick of my voice. But um, we actually also have two wonderful guests today, who are regulars on the show: Helen Vandenberg, who I've spoken to before um, uh, on the show, and as has Kevin over the years. So Helen apparently has had some successes recently with her. Uh, efforts to get the waterways of the West um, properly looked after. And um, listeners of the show would remember that she is part of the Friends of Steel Creek Conservation Group, um, which works for the care and management of Steel Creek, uh, in particular the landscape and the flora and the fauna, and making sure that the water there is healthy, that people can use the creek as a recreational space, but also that the populations of animals that live in the area and the plants in the area are supported to have the best lives that they can as well. One of the uh, factors that is of concern in that area is um, toxic waste and waste from factories and uh, industrial activities in the area. So that relates to our second guest who is... Ken Mooney, who's a long-time activist in the western suburbs, um, he'll be speaking with us about the warehouse fire that happened in West Footscray recently. I think it was just the beginning, when was it? It's the beginning of September? I can't remember now, but I actually was working in Yarraville at the time and I remember coming to work and seeing these huge plumes of black, thick, toxic looking smoke um, over the western suburbs and being quite freaked out myself and coming to work and finding out that we were to stay inside and keep the doors closed which is not much of a comfort really. Um, So that's the topics for today's show and first of all we're gonna go and give Kevin a call and see how he's feeling. 3CR is in the running to receive nearly $100,000 to help us retrofit our station for greater accessibility. That means better handrails, doors, taps, ramps. And more to provide improved access for everyone. But we need your support. Do you live within 5 kilometres of the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy? If you do, you're eligible to vote for us. 
Our project is part of the Victorian state government's Pick My Project scheme. And you can jump online and vote for 3CR's Community Radio Accessibility Project by going to 3cr.org.au. It's only with your vote that we can receive this important funding to make our station more accessible. Kevin, how are you feeling? Oh, Meg, I'm, oh, I'm not feeling great, but I'm feeling all right. It was got a rotten cold. In fact, I've decided that whoever, I know who did it, there was a bloke behind me on a public transport last week coughing and <laughs> sputtering, and at the moment I thought, I'm going to catch this. And if I knew who he was, I think I could get away with justifiable homicide. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. he should have done what you are doing and kept himself in quarantine. Exactly, because I was thinking of coming in, then I thought maybe Meg and others will catch it, so maybe well, not. That, maybe that's because I said, don't you dare come in here with a card and give that to me. That did influence me a bit. Your moment of panic did kick me I'm going to start off with something that people have missed this morning. Hang on a tick, just listen to this. Did you hear the pouring? How about this? I'll do it in the studio. Oh. Is that better? Even better. That's yep. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have any jasmine green tea or anything, so I just had to have, I'm just having normal boring tea. Oh, well, this is jasmine that wasn't, yeah. But uh, look, you, you did mention the Herald Sun. Let's, let's kick off there with our comment this morning, because uh, they've had some wonderful front page headlines that are relevant to the world in the last few weeks. Last week, last Thursday, the headline was Dan's Wicked Leaks. Mum's personal health, etc. Exclusive Premier's Docs fiasco. Now, I think, you know, there's no question that putting out stuff that gives away people's personal details is dreadful and he should be attacked for it. But the whole thing was actually about releasing the information that Guy had wasted three and a half million to get himself out of a problem and not go to court and not therefore maybe lose his ministerial job at the time over a planning issue on Phillip Island. Uh. But once again... The guy issue has been totally pushed into the background and it's an attack on, on Andrews. Now, I think they should both be attacked, one for releasing information that that, that went further than they should have and, and, and released people's private details. Mm. But secondly, Guy deserves being attacked as usual, but it, but it's just the usual Herald Sun situation anyway. There you are. Mm. Um, now, on the... Um, on Monday, we had, again, the big news of the day. Police hunt violent African youths following tower mayhem, high-rise chaos, another exclusive. An Airbnb apartment in the city has been trashed and neighbouring units plundered as rioting youths once more, etc., etc. Mm. Dozens of young party-goers described as being of African appearance. So here they go again. Wow. Um, attacking all that. And I'm sure on next Saturday's um, Solidarity Breakfast, uh, which last week didn't appear and meant that a, a week that was that I'd recorded didn't get to air, which was a disaster. Oh, and, gosh. But, yeah, great news. That's probably news. what made you sick, actually, isn't well, great, it? Well, but great news for our listener, of course. <laughs> but um, but uh, Annie, I'll leave it to her, but Annie will explain why she didn't turn up last Saturday mm. uh, when you talk about violence on the streets of Melbourne uh, as to what happened to her at the Lafarge protest on Friday night. But I'll leave that to her, but it, mm. there's a real connection there. But anyway, once again, they're into African youth. And then yesterday, I think the biggest news of the week, 
and the, you know, in the whole world, this I think. Well, I'm sure this was on the front page of every paper around the world. A royal visit, Harry and Meghan heading to Melbourne. Here they come. Oh my gosh! Cannot wait. Fairy tale marriage in May, etc. So and. And the awful part is I watched a commercial news last night and there were people actually saying they wanted to line up so they could meet them. I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> um, when are they here? Just out of curiosity. Oh, I won't be on. lining up. Oh, yeah. I don't think I read that far. Oh. <laughs> um, hang on. No, I can't work it out. That's um, okay. Oh, hang on. October 18. Oh, fabulous. He's coming here for a uh, for a train killer games that he organises. You know, we're train uh, killers. Um, yes. Yeah, that's right. The Invictus so, Games. Yeah, I wonder yeah. where he's swastika. Uh, Uh-oh. Yeah. Now, a couple of things to do with how the rich regard, um, well, people like us, I guess. Um, not that I'm suggesting we're poor, of course. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, just got to look at my place where I am now. Um <laughs> The other day, um, yesterday, in fact, uh, we had the the woman called Michelle Bullock, who's the assistant governor for the financial system at the Reserve Bank, and she says rate rises are affordable. These are bank rate rises, etc. And she believes that um, most people um, will be able to handle it. It's okay. Said some households are feeling the pressure, but generally speaking, Australians will be able to. There's ability to, in fact, I quote is there's some ability in households to absorb increases in required repayments. Huh. Now, I suspect that's coming from a person who hasn't got a struggle to meet her repayments. I just get that feeling. And we know from the Commission that the banks always behave with the best interest of their customers. In well, that. absolutely. Yeah. And, and well, insurance companies, the retail mm-hmm. super, they, they're mm-hmm. all just in there only for their customers. Yeah. Uh, but this is the better one. Uh, this one comes from uh, a bloke who said, in recent times, there's been a trend toward blaming the rich for poverty. Now, gee, that's <laughs> good heavens. This was a so-called think piece in the Financial Review Monday. And it says, when you look at the way poverty was addressed in the 19th century, it seems pretty harsh, barbaric even. And it goes on. He says, we think society in the 19th century was primitive and harsh, but in 100 years from now, what will, a, uh, what will alarm our great-grandchildren about the way we handle issues of poverty and deprivation? My guess is they'll be pretty harsh on us. They'll damn us for paying handouts while doing very little to confront the causes of poverty. Mm, like but capitalism, he, right? Yes. Then yeah. he goes on to, well, he doesn't mention that. Oh. Actually. You know, he, he goes on to look confront the causes of poverty, and he points out that um, you know, a lot of people say you just take from the rich and give to the poor. Mm. But he says, but here's the problem. If we tax those with the capacity to invest too aggressively, they won't invest and the poor will be worse off. Mm. Uh, and it comes down, he quotes uh, Venezuela, Cuba, the Soviet Union, as that system failing, and points out that it's really family life um, and good, good parenting. And so the answer to poverty is good parenting. Yes. Train parents to be good parents. Yep. And he says, I've noticed with interest how often I'm personally attacked for being privileged. I assume it means born to wealthy parents and I deserve to be condemned for that. Perhaps I should have chosen more carefully. But the greatest privilege I had wasn't that my parents had money. It was that they cared so passionately about loving me and my sisters at home and encouraging us to read and love learning. Mm. Now, that's real privilege. And the writer is... Alexander Downer. <laughs> oh, yes, wonderful. One of our favourite people. Uh, well, yes, Alexander. He, he um, he's um, worked it out. Good parenting means yeah. poverty will 
this this would be right. If so you have good parents, you can you can override structural inequalities. Obviously, and, obviously, yeah. obviously. I mean, yeah. in all those areas of the world where poverty-stricken people exist, it's obvious that their parents, parents don't love their children. That's right. I think we've That's worked it out. And we mentioned a couple of times this bloke, Phil Gateson's the mate of the government who worked for all these government figures, who was made Treasury Secretary. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, we, we pointed out that he might have a little bit of bias. Mm-hmm. Well, he's now come out. He made his, one of his first, his first major speech in the new job at the University of WA last uh, week. Mm. And he said, uh, the community and the media focus on negatives when reporting on the economy. The glass is too often reported as half empty. Populist views about inequality have been a common theme of recent economic analysis and commentary both here and overseas. But he said the Productivity Commission's report, Rising Inequality, question mark, a stock take of the evidence, uses data and resources to demonstrate the problem is not as bad as made out. <laughs> evidence shows that the benefits of economic growth and prosperity are shared right across the community uh, through policy settings, especially through our targeted tax and transfer system. He highlighted the report's findings that income growth had been broadly shared, income and wealth mobility were high and inequality was substantially lowered when taking into account incomes over time compared with point-in-time estimates. Hmm. So um, that last bit, I think, means that while you mightn't be able to afford to eat this week, Mm -hmm. you should be able to afford next week. Well, that's a a comfort. Yeah, Yeah. and Phil obviously is a bloke who, uh, again empathises with the poor and the desperate, so it's yes. quite easy, yeah. Well, it reminds so, me of, um, I saw something that um, Bernie Sanders, the senator in, in the States, put up about um, how workers at Amazon are employed and paid but don't get paid enough to live without needing um, government, government support yeah. and that his uh, proposal is that companies like Amazon should pay 100% of the government support that is then given to, um, you know, the their employees, uh, with the idea being that why should the government um, subsidise their employees because they cannot give them a living wage? Yeah, exactly. Which is exactly what Gateson's saying, really, isn't it? Is it? Uh, you know, the, the government. Why should the employers pay pay the pay yes. low income people when? Yeah. Uh, when the government can pick up the rest of it, yeah. and they can still starve anyway. But we don't take tax from the government from the companies that's oh. sufficient, or even anything sometimes, to Watch cover your the cost. <laughs> the other one I just thought worth mentioning because last week we mentioned the headline and asked people to guess who we're talking about, but it said that um, you know the Chinese media compared said Dutton was a was a low you know a reduced version of, um, of Trump. Trump. Yeah. And um, I, I think, you know, you really can't compare them. They're quite different people. Because last week when, when Trump, uh, when, the, when the book came out and the, the mm-hmm. anonymous reviewer, the, the opinion House piece person, in the New York yeah, Times. attacked poor old Donald. Yep. Uh, he said the, per- the people were liars and needed, desperately needed mental health. Um, you know, they, were, they, were, they were mentally mentally ill, mm-hmm. poor souls. Mm-hmm. Now, this week, when poor Peter Dutton was attacked by the head of his department saying he had, in fact, used his position to help all sorts of mates, mm-hmm. Dutton said he was a liar and desperately needed mental health. Oh. So where's the comparison? Where is exactly. the comparison? I don't see any similarities there. No similarity, yeah. whatever. <laughs> whatever. 
So let's, let's put our Pete's in a bit of trouble, actually. Uh, and just before I let you go on to your interviews, yeah. um, some interesting stuff's come up in the last few days. Um, yesterday, a story came out that, I'm not sure it's been known in the local area for a long time, that Victoria University wants staff to, in fact, um, approve an enterprise bargaining agreement they're putting up. They've wiped the union out of it because the union wants better conditions and wages. Mm. Um, and it's appealed to staff to vote yes to an enterprise bargaining agreement that increases staff hours and streamlines dispute settling processes. Mm. It does not have support of the union. Mm. Uh, but the the university claims, Professor Lorraine uh, Ling, their bargaining team leader, mm says they're no longer in a position to accede to any further modifications and it's all about in fact reducing wages and conditions mm. and then this morning in the financial review a bloke called daddy simpson he's professor of um, management at melbourne he's come out supporting them saying university staff across the board should brace for higher workloads lower salary increases and in cases where student numbers are low redundancies mm. And all universities are under similar pressure and will turn to staff and ask them to share the pain. Wow. And both articles have all sorts of things about the economics of universities. But it comes back to the fact, obviously, that this is an area government should be funding 100% and isn't. Yeah, and the people that I know that work in that sector are already sharing it, not just sharing, but shouldering the majority of the burden Yeah. yeah of yeah. these cuts. Wow. Yeah. Amazing, interesting, and I thought Vic Uni was one of the more better universities in terms of conditions. Well, it always has been because yeah. it, it does serve the working class yeah. much more. Yeah. But uh, there, I know there's often been disputes out there over whenever they come up to a new bargaining agreement. Uh -huh. but, uh, and yeah, you know, but it, it is tough, and uh, and so which we know, you know, that so many staff these days are actually casuals, uh -huh. and there's you know fewer and fewer full time staff on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So. It's, it's something we might look at because it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's accompanied by an article um, yesterday because the Fin Review on Monday says an education section. But this is a, you know an ongoing theme yeah. uh, where a bloke called um, Andreas Sleiker, who's the Director of Education and Skills at the OECD, he told a conference here last week that Australian universities must collaborate much more with business. Uh. And it's the ongoing thing now yeah. where business is moving in more and more yep. and determining what uh, what courses should be rather than the mm. reverse. And the other concerning thing, I think, is that universities are moving in also on the vocational... Well, like the vocational sector and then wanting to collaborate with TAFEs, which tends to kind of like mean that vocational... Students who want vocational education have less options. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because so we might get someone from the union. Paul Adams, in fact, commented on this one. Uh, you know, Paul, do you? Yeah. Uh, he's okay. the he, and he's yeah. the the president of the Victoria Uni branch of the union. Mm. He described the he described it as aggressively anti-staff and takes away staff and rights. Mm. We're trying to create a more portable workforce with less rights and where conditions can mm. be trashed. He said. Mm. Um, so we've got someone on at some stage in yeah. the next few weeks because it's a that, an area that's really coming under attack. Yeah. Absolutely, that would be a good one. Yeah. For the future, yeah. Okay. Thanks so much, Kevin. Okay. Get well. <laughs> thanks, Rest Megan. up. All right. And uh, have a wonderful rest of the program. Thank you. Okay, thanks. So that was Kevin Healy, our uh, long-standing uh, City Limits stalwart.
Um, I forgot to ask him if he had any specific questions he wanted us to ask Helen or Ken, but we, I think we can safely say that um, both of them will have plenty to say. So uh, we might uh, go to a CSA and then we'll get Helen on the line. Herds and Curds with Carmen and Leanne, bringing you conversations with farmhouse cheesemakers and dairy producers. The first Sunday of the month at 7am on your favourite station, 3CR, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. Twenty eighteen marks twenty years since senior traditional owner Yvonne Margarula invited supporters to come to Mirar Country within Kakadu National Park to blockade the proposed Jabaluka uranium mine. Thousands answered the call. The mine was stopped. To commemorate this extraordinary anniversary, Gunjaitme Aboriginal Corporation and the Australian Conservation Foundation have produced a gorgeous commemorative calendar. Standing strong, Jabaluka Twenty Years is a piece of history you don't want to miss. Order your copy today at mirar.net. That's M-I-R-A-R-R.net. A 3CR supporter. And we're joined by Helen Vandenberg. Um, thank you for coming on the show today, Helen. You're welcome, Meg. Thank you. Um, so I heard that you've had a success recently. Um, yes, we did have a success recently. Wonderful. Um, we have had a nine-month process um, with environment with uh, Bruce Lindsay from Environmental Justice Australia, mm. um, with support from the Helen McPherson Smith Trust to uh, run stage two of our consultation with communities. Before that, we had a small seeding grant from Melbourne Water to go <clears throat> and run some workshops with communities in the catchments of the Maribyrnong and the Werribee River. Mm. And anyhow, as a consequence of all the collaboration that we've done with the community in that time since November of last year, mm. pardon me, um, we, Bruce then um, wrote up the community's um, wishes into a draft proposal calling for a Rivers of the West Act. Mm. And we submitted that to um, the government. Its key calls were the need not only to um, better protect the waterways, it, it outlines what we're dissatisfied with, mm. which was, you know, silos of governments making decisions that all impact waterways, yet mm. only one group with its hands tied in quite a lot of circumstances. Melbourne Water is responsible for them. So <clears throat> we've said quite categorically the current system of management doesn't work yeah. and that there is a need for restoration of waterways and we need to stop the over-extraction and water theft that's going on in the face of climate change when mm. we're already... And we're groundwater-driven, so we don't have the same rainfall as the Arrow catchment has. Yeah. We also made it quite clear that the Maramurong and the Werribees are pretty short rivers and they're really... On a volcanic plain, we have the same geology, the same rainfall, same hydrology, same flora and fauna. So it's better to look at it as one unit and investigate what kind of protection this could be given in the face of climate change and an improvement because there are so many legacy issues out west. Mm. So we put it to government and um, we said we wanted uh, a different approach to governance. We wanted... <clears throat> 
uh, a green infrastructure approach, whereas you look at projects and a different form of urban planning mm. because uh, it's quite a lot of the impacts on our waterways have come from poor urban planning. And so it was um, well received. There mm. were meetings. We had several meetings during the process and kept the relevant um, DELP and Melbourne Water and people up to date. Mm. Then... Um, the ministers, Wynne and um, Lisa Neville, who's the water minister, came to um, Footscray Park um, when was it? on the 28th of August mm. and announced that they were <clears throat> going to establish a ministerial advisory committee to look at <clears throat> ways to give to protect the waterways and it was to be in consultation. It was a community-led pro mm. pro process in consultation with um, the government, with the communities. <clears throat> and, of course, we've all incorporated traditional owners. Yes. And we've had um, two discussions with them um, at different times, as well as the many discussions I have with Uncle Dave about water <laughs> <laughs> at, over at Lily Street. So that's been announced, and the minute we've just had a meeting over the terms of reference, <clears throat> that will be finalised next week, and then we will... Uh, Chris Chesterfield from the uh, Cooperative Centre for Research on water, sens uh, water Sensitive Cities is going to chair it. He chaired the ARA Act process. And so um, it will be established pretty soon, we hope, and mm. we can get a start on. Um, Amazing. So Congratulations. Are, thank you. But, I mean, we've been... <clears throat> it, the um, Port Phillip and Western Port Catchment Management Authority has a great way of bringing the communities in their catchments together mm. and they've been holding roundtable discussions for the Maribyrnong for a number of well, four years yeah. and I've been to some of those. I think I've been to three of them. Mm. Anyhow, through that, you your perspective broadens from your immediate creek, which is just a short tributary to the Maribyrnong, really, yeah. my creek, mm. to That's that still catchment creek, wide, yeah, yeah, to that catchment wide focus. And I mean, if you're going to apply for a grant from them, you have to get your head around the catchment wide regional strategy, and you have to look at how you make that, how you um, can bring that about in your patch. Mm. So there's a real consistency of outlook and objectives. Mm. And But, I mean, if you listen to the people going, there's a certain sense of despondency. We've all been doing this for so long and yeah. our creeks are still going backwards and urban planning is threatening to demolish what we've created and mm. climate change will do the rest. Mm -hmm. Mm. However, in this process, what I noticed was a real um, lift of spirits of people having hope again that, we, you know, we by facing the reality of the situation and getting a different kind of protection, we may be able to, we should be able to do something better than is happening now. Yes, because planning is a huge factor. I remember you saying that there was a lot of different bodies and you mentioned it at the start of the interview that there's all different um, bodies that have an impact on um, how the creeks and rivers are managed. Do you think the Ministerial Advisory Committee will address that? Yeah. Yeah. Because we've made it crystal clear. Um, that it is a major problem. And yeah. the data shows that. Melbourne Water can show you data about what the impact... What If we do nothing, if it's business as usual, the creeks of the west are dead. Yeah. Right? Now, there may be stormwater around and treated effluent that you can use to keep the creeks running, but will there be creeks or drains? Right. Secondly, 
uh, if that water is treated and brought up, because there's going to be a lot more sewerage with the bigger population, so there's a lot more water treatment, mm. if they can bring that up to a standard by which you can keep your um, your aquatic creatures and plants living, yeah. then that's fine to use that. But we keep saying, don't forget, we're groundwater driven. Our soils are already drying out. Mm. Now, the proof of that is um, I have a floodplain behind my house, which only floods in really big rain events, right? Mm. Recently, after 36 hours of rain, fairly steady, couple of cloudbursts, 54 mils, mm. the creek behind my house flooded like it was a one in 200 year flood. Mm. The whole park was covered in water, mm. right? Now, that shouldn't have occurred. And this is the point we've been making. You will have a mini flood. You will have floods in inner Mel in the middle suburbs of Melbourne, and this is a result of the fact that the planning, the state policy has allowed councils to develop or made them develop plans, policy, um, mm. planning policies, whereby you can cover the whole ground and put up ten apartments on an old, on two quarter acre blocks, mm. and you can have the driveway. And there's no porous area. Mm -hmm. And if a person wants to um, build a house, there's no planning permit needed. They can just go ahead and do it as big as they like. Mm. There's no restrictions on that. And you see mega mansions being built. So there's no rainwater infiltrating. So if we've got no groundwater, these creeks won't flow. As I said, I watched my summer groundwater flow out to Port Phillip Bay where it has no ecological value. Mm. Yeah, people forget that um, health of rivers is m a much broader issue, just even in terms of how far the impact on the rivers is, the impact on the rivers from things like plants and, and infrastructure and, and building and planning and things like that. Yeah, well, under the new EPA Act, which has finally been passed, Vic Roads has a problem, right? Yeah. And they've had some chats with us about that. They will have had a chat with me in here. So they have to... Um, try to remediate that to treat that water before it hits the creeks. Now they've got a massive job and that can't all happen overnight mm. but in the interim they're allowed to monitor an area um, and uh, just to make sure it's not going further backwards. Mm. I said, well that's an interim measure but the point is Europe has decided that in, by 2025 all road water must be um, treated before it hits their rivers. Wow. So the Germans have been very busy getting a lot of um, designs to fit in small places and large places and to deal with major problems and minor problems. So if you go on this um, particular website, I think Spell, and you look at all the things there for different ways of treating stormwater, we're not even having, we're not even needing to do the research here mm -hmm. to or to develop anything. You can go out and buy it mm -hmm. and just apply the research that's been. Made yeah, the, the, these things are, you know, there's little videos of how they work and they show you and if they're half as good as they say they are, it's better than, it's 100% better than what we've got. Yes. People can do a lot in their own homes and even just on a small scale like that in terms of using stormwater and, and drain water. Well, it would help because the, the flow to the creek is too rapid. The more people who have rainwater tanks, the better mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. that holds back some of it. Yep. But really, for that to be effective, they have to be empty every time it rains so that they can take <laughs> the rainwater. Um, so, yeah. Helen, and I mean, there is a change up in Sunbury in the city of Hume. Mm. There was one development done there 
where um, the planner worked with Vin Pettigrove and they managed... No, not Vin, Chris... I can't remember if it was Chris Walsh. Um, Chris mm. Walsh or I think it was Chris Walsh. They kept 60% of the stormwater pack. Wow. They're now doing another development where they're trying to keep 100% of the stormwater pack. Wow. Um, and so, you know, those things can happen. Yes, it's actually but not that difficult if, if, it's, if it's applied and there's the commitment there from yes. planning and government. Yeah, but the point is if you want to keep your street trees alive in the future, they're going to need groundwater. They're not going to have yeah. to be happy with a trickle from the top. Yes. So, and so as, as well as the sort of like the planning side in terms of residential, you also mentioned industry. Um, how do you think the committee will relate to the issue of, of industrial use of, of water in the area? <laughs> I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but there's also the issue of um, industry being far too close to residents, as we saw yes. in the West Footscray fire the other day. Yes, which we'll be talking about later in the show with Ken Mooney. Yeah, mm. uh, well, that, the creek's dead. Yeah, yes, um, I've heard that, yeah. yeah. Um, and we went over to um, um, the meeting that was organised by friends of Crookshank Park and friends of Stony Creek just to hear yeah. what they were saying yeah. and how it was being handled, and it wasn't good. No. Anyhow, um, there's the issue of... There's all the legacy issues you've got out west, but there's also the fact that they're going to be packing in a lot more people and in smaller spaces. Yes. And how do you address the heat island effect if you can't keep street trees alive? Yes. How do you address soil moisture if you leave no space for infiltration? Mm. And they they will have to mandate those regulations because we're sick of guidelines that say consider this, consider that. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah, so a good outcome of the of the committee would be if those things were put into the planning schemes and mandated, as you say. Well, yeah, and if they're not, they'd be held to pay, I would think, because mm. um, it would be disillusioning a whole lot of people if we don't see recommendations at the... I mean, they've got to go through the process first and, and there's the issues of... <clears throat> there's the issue of the traditional owner's rights... Yes. ..and how they want water treated and um, their perspective. Mm. And they've certainly got a... um, Well, if we'd we'd listened to them from the beginning, we wouldn't be in the mess we're in. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty simple Mm -hmm. Um, and that straightforward in that respect. Um, But, I mean, the community's got to have its say. Um, They've already had a trial run at it anyhow, so we, we know exactly where we want to head with it. Um, so we'll wait and see how it all turns out. So we're hopeful. Yes. Um, we don't think anything's in the bag, of course, mm. um, but it's a start. And this is the state government? and Yes, but, I mean, if we hadn't had um, Bruce Lindsay from Environmental Justice, Bruce has um, a passion for water yes. and therefore his area of expertise is water reform. And um, EJA, as you know, is crowdfunded and is always looking for funds. And Yoss and I are walking in the Melbourne Marathon trying to raise money. Oh. So for them, so if anybody wants to sponsor us, that would be very welcome. That's great. And it, Bruce is amazingly tactful, really well informed, uh, and he's such a great listener that, you know, he has uh, won both the respect and the trust of the community. 
So <clears throat> without him, we wouldn't have been able to get this presented. I mean, if you can get an expert, if you can mm. get a report written mm. with mm-hmm. more expertise, it's a bit harder for government to ignore it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's always easy to brush aside what the community is saying. But in this mm. case, um, <clears throat> we've invested a lot of time and energy and uh, Bruce got a grant so we could employ him to do it. So That's yeah, great. It's been good, so. Once again, thanks to Environmental Justice Australia. Brilliant. And the community. Absolutely. <laughs> won't let go of their love of their waterways. Exactly. That constant community pressure really makes a difference. Yeah. And um, has this impacted on your work with the Friends of Steel Creek group? Have there any updates there? Oh, well, we got our grant from the CMA for next year so we can continue planting um, at Lily Street which is a cultural heritage site, so there are areas where we can't plant, where Mm. the weeds are allowed to flourish. Um, And um, so that's all going ahead. But no, there's more than me and FOSC, so we just keep, you know, proceeding with all the things we're dealing with, PFAS. Yes. um, As well as planning next year's plantings and finishing off this year and wondering how we're going to organise working bees for um, watering in a dry summer. Yes, indeed. So, yes, uh, but we've got ten thousand plants in at Lily Street now. So um, the once barren escarpment is now well planted out, and the ones we planted in two thousand and sixteen had a fair bit of rain their first year, so they're quite you know about a metre and a half high. Some of them, so we're going down there today to take off some of the um, tree guards. That's awesome. That that is a fantastic achievement. Just as much as a committee is, just to see those plants back in the ground must feel really oh, satisfying. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, we don't know how well they're going to survive, but our plan our plan down there is to just plant it very densely, overplant yes. it, so you create a low canopy of shade, deny those weeds the light and warmth they need, and then you have to then you don't have. I mean, if you wanted to kill off all those weeds, you'd kill the land as well. Yeah, absolutely. You'd so poison we don't it. really like <clears throat> spray much. Right. Well, we'll put some links up in the um, online when if people are listening online or want to get some more information about the environmental justice or uh, the work that you're doing in the committee. Thanks for joining us today, Helen. Thank you, Mick. Yeah, and we'll I'm speak to you again I soon. I remembered to pause and let you ask questions. <laughs> you I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I thought I'd better you. be on my best behaviour today. <laughs> it's been great to talk to you. Thank you, Mick. All right. Thanks. <laughs> That's Helen Vandenberg, a long-time environmental campaigner in the western suburbs. We might take a little break. We'll have some community announcements. Maybe we'll play you all a song and we'll have Ken Mooney on the line very soon. Uh, Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Meet me down by the You're listening to City Limits on 3CR Community Radio 855. That was Reckless by Tommy Lewis. And I have Ken Mooney on the line. Ken, thanks for joining us. Good morning, Meg, and good morning, listeners. How are you? I'm as fit as a Mally Paul. I'm not like Kevin Healy, poor old Kevin. Oh, you'll have to go around and take him some soup. Take him some soup? Mm. My God. 
on. <laughs> so um, Kevin tells me that you uh, were able to have a bit of a conversation today about the fires that happened in West Footscray recently. Yes, and also, too, a little bit of history on uh, when we first shifted here, what uh, what they were producing around here and uh, what we had to fight. Oh, wonderful. So a bit of a history about the industry yeah, yeah, in West Footscray? the great work Helen's doing and her group. Excellent. That's, it's excellent. We need plenty of people like her. Yes, absolutely. She's tireless campaigner. Yes. So should we start with the fire that happened recently in West Footscray? Well, they're all, for a start, the whole, there's quite a few sheds there, and I'm not quite sure how many, but they're all asbestos for a start. Yeah. And um, they didn't know what chemicals were in this warehouse. Yes. Um, they were highly flammable, but they weren't registered. That's, oh, you don't register anything, do you? Oh. <laughs> well, I, I don't register my chemi- my highly flammable chemicals. <laughs> the thing is that... Um, no, they they didn't know what was the fire went on for days and the and the and the, the fumes and they were going towards the people in Altona. We didn't get it, mm-hmm. uh, and we only live um, a few streets from where it was. It's probably about a kilometre from our place, but we were very lucky that it was. I mean, someone yeah. wasn't lucky, were they? I shouldn't say. No, because the wind was blowing south, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, I mean it's criminal. Yes. And, I mean, look, chemical companies, when we first shifted here, they wanted to put every noxious trade in Victoria, plus there used to be cattle yards in Kensington and slaughter yards, and they wanted to put them and chemical companies all together going down from, from, the, from the border of Sunshine down into Laverton and probably further. Right. And um, we kicked up a hell of a blue, but... Uh, and uh, we fought them. And, I mean, a company called New Farm Chemicals, mm. they produced 24D and 245T, which is the main component of Agent Orange. There's one more component, and I forget the name of it. Mm-hmm. But they had 27 leakages in two years. Yep. They had, they had uh, uh, leakage water material waste, which went into, uh, into uh, Cherry Lake, and at uh, Cherry Lake, which is in Altona, mm. and uh, they had Agent Orange. Mm. So this is what we had to fight, and Helen's kept up the fight, and that's fantastic. Yeah, and do you feel like at, at the time um, people were aware of how toxic the industry was in that area? Oh, yes. We, yep. we, had, a, we had a very good um, journalist, one of the... Um, uh, uh, one of the the editor of a paper called The Advocate, um, mm. which happened to be uh, young Kevin Healy. <laughs> he doesn't talk much about... Than me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, uh, yes, we had a... We, when things started to change, we, we did a, a, a door knock of the whole area, the Sunshine Action Group, mm. we called ourselves, mm-hmm. and... Um, we did a door knock of the whole area, took ages, and we had a demonstration, and I thought, oh, probably about five or 600 will turn up. Mm-hmm. We had 10,000 residents at March down the road. Wow. And Jimmy Keynes, who was our Member of Parliament, the great Jimmy Keynes, said to me, Kenny said, you'll march well. And I said, no, I'm not marching. He said, what? I said, no, I'm going to float. <laughs> <laughs> On the crowd? 
Yeah, I'm going to float. Well, we went down to the site where they were going to put them all and, and we had a demonstration. And people power and organising to fight something does work. Yeah. Because we changed the whole structure of the western suburbs and what Helen's doing now, is, and she's changing it more. And, and um, it's terrific. What was that change? What was the biggest success? Well, I think... Um, I think uh, um, Stopping that whole area from becoming a dump, right? And uh, and we we stopped a lot of chemical companies. They just wanted they wanted all the noxious trade and chemical companies in one spot. Yes, and we would have got the off. Yep. And I think that was a great victory by uh, all all the people in uh, in the in, in in the western suburbs. Mm. And how did it start the organising around that? Well, we went and started up a group called the Sunshine Action Group. And um, we were on other things and we found out about... Uh, we were on things about um, what was happening in the area, roads and... Uh, right. Um, you know, normal things that residents cop over over a period of time. Mm. And that came up. So we so we put all our energy in fighting those, these companies. Mm-hmm. And so, so there is still quite a bit of industry there, though, isn't it, as we can tell from the fire recently? Oh yes, well see that that warehouse and then what happened was see that comes under that doesn't come under the Brim uh, that doesn't come under the Brimbank Council that uh. comes under the Maribyrnong Council right. and um, we went and disrupted a few when it was the old Putsgrey Council we went and disrupted it because uh, they weren't doing anything so those campaigns well I hope they I hope they put but but. They do something else with the place that they uh, they they take it all down because it's always. I mean, why would you have a place this day and age? You know, asbestos. Yes. So you wouldn't use it, would you? Especially with uh, highly flammable chemicals no, being stored right. in there. So I, I'm hope hopefully they they change it. And I mean, the way to change it is for people to stand up and fight them. Yeah. As a resident in the area, have you heard any? Have you been given any information? About the fire and um, and the the toxicity no, of the smoke. No, no, oh, no, oh, <laughs> no. They wouldn't do that, would they? Um, uh, no, no, we we haven't. But as I said, we come under Brimbank. We don't come under Maribyrnong. So right, they keep it all. They, they try and keep all that quiet. So there's no information about what caused the fire. No, but no. they think it might be suspicious. I'd, I'd say, well, they do. Yeah. They do, yes. They, they've already said they think it's suspicious. Yeah, which is extremely concerning considering the impact on everybody in the area. That's, that, that's exactly correct. The, the whole area's got to be changed and they've got to, be, they've got to do something that, um, that, <laughs> that they're, not, um, they're not letting chemicals go. I mean... <laughs> What happened, as I said, with with, with um, uh, leaks from New Farm Chemicals and and from Monsanto. I mean, uh, uh, by the way, that when when two four D and two four five T is released, no wind can break it up until it gets about eighty kilometres. So if it blows over Melbourne, everybody gets it. Everyone's affected. That's correct. Yeah. So it's so the ones who lead us are the biggest criminals. It shouldn't be happening. Yeah. 
And um, do you think what's the community sort of take in your experience with the history of of the western suburbs area? Um, the community is affected uh, disproportionately by industry because industry has always been focused in the western suburbs. And I'm new to Melbourne, so I've moved here last year from Tasmania. Um, so I understand that there's sort of a history there of the western suburbs taking taking more than their fair share of, of industry. Yeah, well, they, they, they wanted to put all the filthy, noxious trade in Victoria in the west. Yeah. Um, as I said, from the, the border of Sunshine going right down into Laverton, probably further into Hopper's Crossing. Mm. They wanted to put the whole lot together. And uh, that's how our organisation grew and fought. And, I mean, the, the, we, we, we started up as a resident group. Mm. But we finished up... Uh, we, we, were, we were fighting the, uh, the noxious trade coming in, so that was our main concern. Yeah, so you started as a group that was just looking at um, concerns of any residents, like, yeah, planning and, and that's, streets that's, and stuff like that. Right, exactly, and, um, and then we found out about what was going on down... Uh, what was going on in, uh, in the area, and uh, we started to fight it, and uh, they wanted to put... Uh, shift the Kensington cattle yards and uh, and all the noxious trade into the one area. So that's when we had that uh, rally yeah. and uh, we built up to that and uh, things started to change. Which is interesting because not a lot of um, resident groups usually have to deal with the fact that there's toxic industry in their, no, in their no, community. No. But we... Yeah. we, we, we uh, we we were very strong and uh, and still are. I, I mean, I was I was um, president of my group for, for Sunshine Action Group for nearly forty years, and right. uh, young people have shifted in the area, and uh, I've um, looked at every one of them, and I thought you'd make a good president, you'd make a good secretary, <laughs> and, I was, and I said right, and they're running it now, and um, so it's still running the Sunshine Action Group. Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. And so um, what's what's the focus these days? Same thing. Well, uh, we every now and then we have a community meeting, and probably about four or five to three hundred turn up. Depends on what the what the issue is with mm. the local hall, and uh, depends depends on what the issue is. But normally, most people see better things. It's only just the, a few rebel rousers. <laughs> happens. I mean, it's the same anywhere. That's right. But it's still going, and it's um. It's uh, it's a good it's a very good organisation. That sounds like a very strong community uh, in that area. Oh yes, oh yeah. yes. We've always stood together. Yeah, and we've never been in each other's pockets, but we look out for each other. Yeah, and so you've been living in the Western Suburbs for forty years or more. No, I've been uh, I lived in Kensington first. Oh. Yeah, and then uh, we bought a house in uh, in West Sunshine, and I've lived in this house for forty five, forty six years. Yeah. So what do you think is the biggest um, change that you've seen in, in your time living there? Well, the change of the uh, of, of stopping all the noxious trade coming into one area. Yeah. That's our biggest fight. Yeah. And uh, we won. Well done. This is, a, this is a rare and unusual good news, City Limits. <laughs> and um, I'm Meg Kimber and I'm joined by Ken Mooney, who's uh, one of the founders and long-time presidents of the Sunshine Action Group. Um, so, Ken, considering that you've um, had that big success with like stopping the industry being concentrated in one area, do you think that there's more that can be done now 
to address things like um, whether there's been quite a few fires over the years of uh, of uh, chemicals and t- and tires and things like that. What do you think can be done better to to stop that? Well, I think that people have got to make sure that the um, leaders of our great community mm-hmm. are doing their job, and we yeah. can make them. And that's proved uh, we proved it. Uh, not me, but the people mm-hmm. of this area proved that you could make them uh, make them change. And yeah. we've got to because otherwise, all they're interested in is profit. They're not interested in people. So that's like at a council level and also a state level, and and. Uh... Yeah, I'd say more the... I, I, I'd say that... Uh, see, when there was... See, this was done under a Liberal government. Right. Um, it changed to a... Well, once the Labor government came in, it was... Uh, it changed a lot. But the Liberals, the great the great uh, Premier Dick Hamer... Right. ...wanted to shove all that there. And I can tell you... Yeah. Uh, ..these people were working for, for big business. They couldn't care less about the residents that lived in an area. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty common experience. But if you don't, as the uh, as the concrete gang says, uh, dare to struggle, dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. So yep. it shows if if residents get together and stand together, mm-hmm. can win. What can be achieved? And win for their community. This has been incredibly inspiring, City Limits. Um, Ken, we'll have to wind up unless you have any final comments. No, well, always. Every <laughs> community, stand up together. If you haven't got an organisation in your area, start to do it and start to organise and stand together, the whole community. And then all communities can get together one day. And I wanted to do a... a uh, an action group right through the whole western suburbs and have something like a trades or council. That would be so awesome. But it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, well, the idea's out there now. So if someone's listening and wants to take that on. Oh, it would be fantastic if they did. And that's what I want to do because the whole, the whole western suburbs could stand up and speak together. Yeah, that would be really powerful. And it really relates to what Helen was saying about um, having a, a holistic and larger view about how things are functioning, it's specifically talking about waterways, but also about communities. Yeah, it was just a little bit much to organise that. So we have our own fight here, and um, so you can't do everything, but it can happen. And That's a big job. Community, if, you, if you don't fight, you lose, and you can win. Awesome. And you all stand together. All right, thanks very much. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for coming on the show. Pleasure. Bye. So that was Ken Mooney um, talking to us about the Sunshine Action Group and the efforts to make the Western Suburbs a more pleasant place to live for the community. Um, We also spoke to Helen Vandenberg about the new uh, Ministerial Advisory Committee about the the waterways of the Western Suburbs. So um, all this information will be up on our page um, 3cr.org slash city limits and you can podcast the show thanks for everyone for listening uh, Anarchist World this week is up next I'm Meg Kimber, Andy's been our paneler and we'll see you next week <laughs>